it was like the monkey that doesn't get any love. It was like, you know, the seasonally affected disorder. You know, it's, we as humans, we need certain things. And if we don't get them, we start to malfunction. everyone. Welcome to the Healing Cassandra podcast. My guest today is Chris, and I'm really excited because in this episode, we're going to get a different perspective. Chris shares a story of what it's like to be the male NT partner in a neurodiverse relationship. Chris opens up about his day-to-day difficulties in the relationship. He offers us insights, and he talks about his experience in dealing with Cassandra syndrome, I appreciate Chris for his honesty and his willingness to share his story. I think we'll all get a lot out of it. Welcome, Chris, to the Healing Cassandra podcast. Hello. (laughs) Hi. I'm so happy that you're here uh, with us. Let's start with how did you meet your partner and how long have you been with her? Uh, We've been together 22 years. We met in a very odd circumstance because I was coming out of a marriage and a family. And she was around in the background as a, a sort of a friend, more of an acquaintance. Um, and she latched onto me um, and was with me through the falling apart of my, of my marriage and my family. She was the knight in shining armor that I know a lot of people talk about. Uh, an Aspie person just throws themselves into um, a relationship and it's a box to be ticked. And I was her special interest and I was the box to be ticked because she wanted a relationship. Now, I already had two kids. So clearly I was good to go on that side of things as a father. So I think I did tick a lot of boxes. So she really was supportive. So I didn't, we didn't find each other. She sort of scooped me up and, and sort of carried me away and helped me until she got the relationship and the kids. And then five years later, boom, this whole thing kicked in. So do you feel that she was masking in the beginning? Because I hear a lot of um, uh, NT partners say that it was the bait and switch. Like they were masking to get you. And then once they got you and you were, were, you know, they were your special interest, then boom, they changed. I wouldn't see it as, as the masking thing. I would see it as I was her special interest. Because it seems with her that people are her special interest. There's one currently uh, who she plays a lot of tennis with and is going on holiday with to play tennis. Um, previously, it's been other things that have been a special interest, but I was the special interest. I don't think it was a, a masking thing. Um, or if it was, it was unconscious on her part and my part. But it was definitely uh, I was the special interest. I was what she wanted and she had moved heaven and earth to get me which she did. And then what changed? Uh, the box was ticked. Uh, job done, move on. So I've really realised lately throughout through the past four or five years, very much a, much a box ticker. So I want a house. Got a house, tick, give up. And the house is a disgusting mess. Our house is a, is a mess. There's boxes everywhere. We haven't unpacked. I've decorated two rooms because I can't be doing with it. She doesn't allow people in the house because it's so dirty and untidy. Kids don't like having their friends around because they're embarrassed about it. My previous two wives, that doesn't sound good, my previous two wives uh, and I, we always had a lovely, clean, tidy house. But for some reason, she doesn't 
that's not of importance to her. It functions, and that is enough. So that was, I did, I, I did the job. Box ticked, move on. So don't put any effort into that anymore. I've achieved. It's like when she buys a new car. She goes after it, goes after it, goes after it, gets car, never washes it, never cleans it, fills it with rubbish. How about with the career? Does she have a career? Yes, very much so. Um, she works uh, very hard. Work is uh, probably after herself and her own interests, her second priority in life. Everything else, and that includes me and the kids, takes uh, a back seat, very much a back seat. She lives her life and we happen to be in it. Mm, I hear that a lot. But it's, but it's not a nasty thing. She's not an unpleasant person. She's kind. She's loving. She's thoughtful. She's, she's, she's lots of things, but utterly blind to the emotional side of life. Utterly blind. Yeah, that's um, a mind blindness that they call it. They just can't. Yeah. They can't see or alexithymia. Alexithymia. Yeah. They're not connected to their emotions, and we can see it, but yet they can't see it. So you have very different communication styles. How how have you navigated that? We don't communicate. It's almost impossible because a bit like a, an animal trapped in a corner. The closer you get to the emotion, or the only emotion coming back at you is anger. That is the go-to emotion for her. I didn't realize how much of a go-to emotion it was until I began to realize what was going on with her. Uh, and also looking at her sister, her sister's behavior was very, very telling for me to look closely at my partner, Jay's behavior. So it, it's anger. So we don't communicate. So I tend to just do stuff. Either I'll buy something, get a new car, whatever, whatever happens. And it's... Um, I just do it. She says, well, why didn't you talk to me? I said, well, there's no point because she has colossal control issues. So if you say, I would like to do this or I'd like to do that, then you get a thousand reasons why it's wrong. Mm. And justification for her not to deviate from what she knows. And then literally 10 minutes later, she will suggest what you've been trying to convince her to do as if it were her idea. It's one of those anything's fine as long as it's my idea kind of scenarios and I know it's this I know it's anxiety I know it's control I know it's all of those things but it's very hard to navigate through that yes how far into the relationship did you realize something isn't right here and your communication style wasn't connecting when I developed uh, reactive arthritis I didn't realize it was her that's only in the past five years that it's all sort of come to light when my reactive arthritis has just gone away and I'm fine. Um, and I think I said to you in an email, I lost two summers um, worth completely to it. An inflammatory disease, my knees were like footballs and my wrists didn't work and I couldn't move my neck very much. I had all sorts of issues. And why did it come? Nobody knew. And why has it gone? Nobody knew. I know now. I didn't know then. I'd never clue. It was, it was horrendous. It was absolutely horrendous. But it was like the monkey that doesn't get any love. It was like, you know, the seasonally affected disorder. You know, it's, we as humans, we need certain things. And if we don't get them, we start to malfunction, as you know, because you've had immune system, autoimmune disorders. So right. It, it was that began about five years in because we'd had the kids. She got the relationship, she got the kids. And then just all of a sudden, she's just backed away from me and from our relationship and looking back on it prior to that she was not normal 
because I've had girlfriends and two wives, but so I think I know what normal is in a relationship and she was not normal. So having that uh, come to light over the past four or five years, it just opens up back into the past, everything. And I just think, now I get it. So I wish I'd known back then and I would have walked away. So what was it? One Was it there one moment that was the aha moment that you said, oh, she she's on the spectrum? I think I had an awful lot of suspicions um, that there was something not right, not nasty, because I've got to say she's not a nasty person, but her behaviour sometimes is very nasty and very unpleasant. The tone of voice, the, the, the phrasing, the, the looking down her nose at you, that sort of thing is very nasty, but I know she doesn't mean it. I know that now. At the time, I just couldn't work out what I'd done wrong because I hadn't done anything wrong. Felt like I existed and that was enough to do something wrong. So there wasn't really a light bulb moment um, other than, no, I don't think there was. I think it was just a slow dawning of realisation that it wasn't me. Um, Because like you, you know, you went away and you think, okay, maybe I'm a bit wrong here. And you do some sort of psychological work on yourself. I've got some counselling about various things. Um, I grew up with a very narcissistic mother who created a codependent existence in the family. My, my sister's the black sheep and I was the golden child. So I could do no wrong, which is not healthy. So I went into looking into that. Um, and then I realised that actually all these things weren't me. Uh, all these behaviours within my relationship with Jay were her. So. You know, you, you go away and you fix yourself as best you can. And then you just turn around and you say, right, now it's your turn to look in the mirror. Yes, I know that feeling. Tell me a little bit about your journey to wellness, because it sounds like you were were really ill with the arthritis. And did that come on suddenly? And then what was your journey back to health? My journey back to health was realizing that it was psychologically induced. Um, and then it just went away. It really was that simple. I didn't. I did so many. I used to live on Nurofen. I had my knees drained because they swelled up so bad, and then within five minutes they were full again. I was getting like Coca-Cola cans full of um, synovial fluid out of my knees, and then they would just fill back up. So it wasn't until the uh, I began to realise that actually the problems in my relationship weren't me; uh, they were my partner, her. And I then began to think, okay, well, I need to start thinking about me. I need to start learning to love myself because I'm actually okay. I'm not what she's treating me like. Um, and then it just slowly went away. And I was able to exercise more. I was able to stop living on Nurofen. I was able to start cycling again. You know, I, I skateboard. Again. I'm, I'm 59, for God's sake, and I skateboard still. What's yes. wrong with me? Um, but I was able to go back and do that. Um, which was just wonderful, just wonderful. But the medical people, the doctor was brilliant with me, my, my GP. He, he spent a lot of time with me, and we looked at absolutely everything. And in the end, as I say, it started to go away, and that was kind of what made me realise I was on the right path by thinking it wasn't me, it wasn't a physical problem. Um, it was a psychologically induced trauma which gave me an autoimmune disease. So it sounds like you did a lot of inward work and a lot of self-care. Yep. A lot of a lot of reflection, a lot of thinking. Um, I went back and spoke to my first wife, my second wife. I uh, spoke to my older kids. 
Uh, and I, you know, I really was uh, open heart time. You know, really was a case of what was I? Who was I? What did I do right? What did I do wrong? Um, and I confronted my mother. That was quite a big um, turning point for me. My father kept saying, no, don't, no, don't, no, don't, no, don't. But I did. And I think possibly that learning journey about myself enabled me to then address her. That I, if I had to put a, a, a timeline on it, it would be confronting my mother was the beginning of the end of my troubles with my, physic, my physical problems, with my autoimmune problems. And that came with a realisation that actually I wasn't the monster that Jay was treating me to be. That's great because you really treated yourself with grace and, and forgiveness. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, because I perhaps wasn't the best. I've always, been a, I've always been a really good dad, but I've always been more of a... Um, I, I used, like my mother did, she used me and my sister to make her feel good, the codependent thing. Mm-hmm. So I started to replicate that. And when I tried to do that with Julie and my second family, my little kids now, then I realised, hang on, this is just me getting it all horribly wrong again here. But she didn't react in the same way. Julie was just like a wall. It was like you know, banging into a brick wall. I was getting nowhere with the same treatment that I did to um, you know, previous um, wives and partners. I don't think that had any bearing on this. But when I started to dig into me and her, and you come across things by accident on the internet, don't you? I was looking up stuff um, about codependency, and then Asperger's popped up, neurodiverse, autism, whatever. I found a fellow called Tony Atwood, I think it is. Yes. British guy talking in, a, in Australia. Um, and I started to buy books and download books and started to read, and it just bloomed from there on. It just exploded, all this knowledge came piling in and it all started to fit into all these boxes and make sense and I had this solid ground to stand on to have faith in myself and to believe what I was seeing to be true well she has a developmental disorder have you brought this up to her yeah many times brick wall and anger absolute brick wall and anger the box ticking bit um as we know, neurodiverse people tend to take things very literally uh, and they approach things very literally. They think if I do this, then that will happen. If I do that, then this will happen. And my other half's sister wanted to live in Australia really badly. So she went down there and she tried uh, working, didn't happen. She tried studying, didn't happen. So in the back of her mind, she thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll get pregnant with an Australian guy and then I'll stay. Didn't work out. She lives in England on her own with the kid. Now, thankfully, the Australian guy realised because Jay's sister is an extreme version of an ND person. So her behaviour was just off the chart bad. And he came over and spoke to me shortly after the birth. And then he came back a few years later and we spoke again. And I realised that my partner was her sister dialed down. So no wonder he went, whoa, and just said, no, I can't live with this. It's just not funny. So he was trapped into having a child with her because she thought it would tick a box and solve a problem. And it didn't. 
No, ticking the box never does solve the problem. That's just the beginning of the relationship. It's not the end. It's just just the start of of things. Were your kids uh, raised with her? Was she a mother to your children, even though... She wasn't the, um, their actual... Well, I've got four kids, two older ones, with my previous wife, that I, was, that I wasn't leaving that marriage, or that marriage was falling apart. We neither of us left, it just fell apart. We're still very close. So we should never have separated. I wish I'd had this um, epiphany about myself um, 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, and I wouldn't be in the state I'm in now. So my little kids that I have with my current partner, who is ND, it's odd the way she treats them, very strange. Um, it's it's not parenting. It's sort of firefighting. It's kind of dodging. It's kind of oh no. I, like I said earlier on, you know, we we happen to be in her life because she wanted to tick a box. Kids didn't realize you have to do stuff with them afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, relationships same. Oh wait, I, I've got to carry on making effort with this relationship. No, don't want to do that. So you get the falling in love bit, and it's all great and super. Then okay, tick stop. She did the same with the kids. So when my little daughter, who's now 16, um, got around 12, 13 years old, um, she broke into the whole chaotic adolescence and self-harm thing. And that was really difficult to deal with. And that's when you want to be together as a couple, parenting, working, and feeling like you're on the same page. She didn't have a clue what to do. She just didn't have a clue what to do with her. She, She came up with some bizarre strategies. So you mentioned about parenting in your email to me about parenting styles. To be fair, her parenting style is just please don't annoy me. Please don't, you know, be a burden because we really are getting in the way of her living her life. It really does feel that way. So do you feel like a single parent most of the time? Yeah, very much. And when, because she spends a lot of time away, her special interest is surfing, um, amongst other things. But the one that's persisted throughout the years is surfing. And we had holiday after holiday after holiday in Cornwall, hence I mentioned it. And we could only ever go on holiday to Cornwall because when well, we used to go for three or four or five weeks um, around August time, and it was so she could surf five or six hours a day. Nobody surfs for five or six hours a day. Not even the professionals do that. But we went down there year after year after year after year so she could surf. So she would just disappear off into the surf, whatever the time of day was, and we were left to our own devices because That's... we were only there so she could surf. Yeah. So, so let... sorry, as I was saying, when she goes, sorry, so mother, when she goes away for a weekend surfing now or goes away with a friend or whatever, the atmosphere in the house is so different. Mm. It's very calm. Um, it's very relaxed you know there's music playing the kids are mucking about they have friends in the garden and so on um they go out i drop them off they come and go the atmosphere is so relaxed because we've got stability in behavior my behavior their behavior so they know what they're going to deal with one minute to the next jay will go up the stairs in one mood come back down in another and it literally turns on a flip of a coin one minute she's nice the next minute she's just awful one minute we're allowed pizza and then we're not. Mm. It is very hard for me as an adult. So I know the kids find it and found it. Um, and I've spoken to them a lot about this, but they find it very, very difficult to know how to manage mum. So they don't. They lie to her. They avoid her. 
they don't have conversations with her because they just know that you can't have the same conversation two days running and it will be the same because your conversation, your side of it might be the same, but her side of it is always different. And that puts a lot of pressure on you as the dad to play both roles and to really be a rock for them. Yes, it does. And I think with my older kids, uh, when we separated and they moved up to Scotland because my previous, my second wife was Scottish. So she went home and took the girls with her. So my my behaviour towards them was was saved from what my mother did to me by the fact that they were a long way away. So they didn't see much of me. So they had little doses of dad, which was great and fine. And that wasn't a month go by where we didn't spend like a weekend together. I flew up there, they'd come down here, whatever. But the little ones... I started down that road and then realized that they needed me more than I needed them. So that was part of my journey to be what they needed rather than have them be what I needed. Does that make sense? It's, yeah. And so so there's, two, there's two things at play here. My, my own personality sort of faded um, and, and the less good side of it just dwindled away through work and time and reflection. And then the bit that they needed came up. So I'm able to support them and manage their mother's behavior to them. But that's a that's a real handful to do. And that's a lot of responsibility to take on. Uh, How about anger and resentment? Yes. And yes, on both sides, uh, to be fair. Um, I remember one of your uh, people you spoke to, and I've listened to all of them a number of times, um, the podcasts that you've done. Thank you for them. Thank very you. helpful. One of them was about people who leave, and some one of them was about people who stay. So, you know, sometimes people go, Well, I just can't cope with this, I'm off. Um, I don't want to do that because I know what it's like to have remote kids and be a, a part-time father. I don't want to do that again. So this time I thought, no, I'm gonna stick around because they need me to help them navigate this. So I keep sidetracking. You ask me questions and I go go off in tangents. Oh, that's okay. It's great. It's great. It's just too much to talk about, really, because it's been 20 years in the making or sorry, 18 or 16 years in the making. And when you finally find it, you know, the the information and the the desire to deal with it and talk about it, let it out, process it, it's huge. But who can you talk to? I can't talk to her. I've tried. Talk to the yeah. kids and they go, oh, that's why mum does what she does. You know, and one time, one night, bedtime's at 10 o'clock for the kids and then it's 9 o'clock and then it's like nearly midnight. So there's just no continuity because it's whatever she feels at the time is what she wants to do. Mm. It's really hard to live like that as a child because kids need boundaries. They need firm boundaries and neurodiverse people do not provide that, I don't think. Because um, from my experience of this particular one, because I've never been with another one, um, the boundaries shift, constantly shift. And you can play games with these people. You can, so you keep mentioning pizza and you leave the Domino's leaflets lying around in the kitchen when they're normally in the drawer. And then all of a sudden it's like, I've ordered a Domino's. Have you? Because you've auto-suggested it to her. You're laughing. You do. <laughs> well, I'm laughing because it sounds like you've got her number now, so you're playing with her. I have. <laughs> I just wish that she'd get it too. Yeah, but you know, it's a developmental disorder. It's the mind blindness. She's just not going to get it. Her mind and her brain—they don't work that way. And 
I know it's so painful and it's so hard to, to accept. And one of the things that, you know, has helped me is thinking, you know, if I had a husband that had, you know, an amputated leg, I wouldn't say, you know, climb the stairs. Why aren't you climbing the stairs? Get to the top of the stairs and be upset and angry. Well, we have partners that have a developmental disorder that what seems obvious to us, like common sense, they don't see it. They can't but see in, it. In that scenario, the person, your, your partner would go, yeah, I know I've not got full pair of legs, so I can't do that. But at least they would acknowledge it. But I cannot... Maybe we're getting close. I don't know because, yeah, maybe we're getting close. And one day she'll either go, yes, or she'll go, no. Well, I don't know. Here's what I think is a little bit different because you are seeing um, a younger generation that because they came up in the school system or they came up um, knowing about autism, they were diagnosed earlier, uh, they've had tools put in, put into place. So uh, it's they're in a whole different place. When you look at um, someone in our age category, you're dealing with at a time when that was never talked about. So now, you know, my husband's 62 and I'm coming to him and saying, look, at you, you know, you have ASD and this is what's going on. That blows his mind. He doesn't see himself that way at all. All of a no. sudden, you're just changing who they thought they've been all these years and how they've responded to things and how they've acted, how they've masked to get through things. So I think it's very different um, when you've been married a long time and you have these realizations. Like I didn't have a realization till year 21 in the marriage and we're going on 27. So um, I think it becomes very different because you've had the realization and now as much as you want her to say, Oh, yeah, I think I am that way and read as much as you do and watch the videos and all of that. You know, she's not going to want to do that until she wants to do it. This is partly why I've got all these things here, because I sat down. You can see that one's covered in ticks. Oh, Chris is holding up um, pages and pages of notes. Yeah, lots of things that I've I've printed out from various resources. And I've gone, does she do this? One tick for yes a bit and five ticks for oh, my God, yes. So <laughs> that sort of thing, putting it down on paper and then rereading it and rereading it and going, am I still right about this? Because you can gaslight yourself with this, can't you? You really can. Yes, that's very true, because a lot of it um, you think, is this just me? Because yes. most of the times when they're like when they're in the work world or they're with family who sees them for short periods of time, it's not noticeable to them. But when you're on a, in a relationship on a day to day basis, uh, it's a whole different story because we are in it. We see the behavior. We you know, have to deal with making decisions and reciprocity or lack of reciprocity. So yeah. it becomes different and it's hard to explain to other people. And we can become isolated and lonely. How, how do you deal with the loneliness? Well, that's why I decided to stay because I want to be with my kids. And I think Whilst I don't see them in the same role as my mother saw myself and my sister to provide her with a source of narcissistic feed, um, I do see them as, yeah, I need to be there for them. I don't use them, no. There was a time when perhaps I would, but I don't. So do I long for uh, closeness? Yes. Intimacy? Yes. Have I had an affair? No. Um, Have I been tempted? Yes. Um, Often. Um, 
there's been many occasions where I could have developed relationships outside the marriage. Marriage? You're getting me at it now. I'm not married. Oh, <laughs> <They've> been... <laughs> sorry, you keep saying married, but Chris actually yeah, isn't married. He's been in a long relationship. Yeah, but you see, Jay won't. She thinks marriage is irrelevant. It's, it's, it's trivial. Oh, you don't need to be married. You're with somebody. Why would you marry them? Doesn't make sense. Black and white thinking. It doesn't change things because a marriage is an emotional thing. It's a commitment. It's a contract. It's intimacy. It's all the things that humans, neurotypical humans, want, need, and desire. Um, but for an ND, it's just pointless. It's just a load of frivolity, and you've got to dress up. What's that all about? So, no, we're not. So, I just have to deal with it. I just have to live with it. I mean, the many, many times I've gone, I think I should leave because I'm lonely. But you can look after yourself. You can believe in yourself. You can be kind to yourself. You can not beat yourself up over things. Um, having this job that I've had since June, where I'm away one or two nights a week up here in Bristol, um, has given me time and space. Now, the kids are... 16 and 13 so they're less dependent on mum and dad being around all the time um so that's fine but it has given me that moment to just switch off in an evening and go i don't have to be on guard i don't have to be on trigger because i'm not going to get that weird comment that stupid behavior um arguments over who does the washing up you know it's silly things like that i don't have to be on guard for that so Yes, yes, loneliness, yeah, very much so. I would love to have a, a deep, intimate relationship, which is what I had with my second wife. Um, and I miss that. Yeah, I miss that because we were very close. And it just fell apart, various things wrecked it. No one was unfaithful, there was no infidelity. We were close as hell, we still are. Um, it just fell to bits. And then Judy just swooped in like Pegasus as horse and just... Whoosh, scooped me up because I was what she needed at the time. Yeah. Had she not been around, would the marriage have got back together? Possibly. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. But it didn't. Um, and the amount of effort that she put into my kids, my big kids, um, when she first started seeing me, was just mad. And she doesn't put any of that effort into her own kids. It's very. I don't get that one. I think it's a case of box ticked because she was trying to win me over and I was a special interest. And, of course, I came with the two of them. I was never going to leave those two, um, my older girls. So she realised that to win me, she had to win them. So when I talk to them about her behaviour, one of them gets it because she is on the spectrum. Lucy, my oldest, she's um, been diagnosed as mild Asperger's. And she loves it. She embraces it. But then you've got to think, well, hang on. Where's the genetic link? Have I got it? But how did how did your um, partner um, Jay respond to? Was she there when uh, your oldest daughter was going through the testing and that whole process? Nope. I I kept my my visits when they came down to see me. Um, I was very much with them, my my older girls, and Jay was like in the background sort of thing because I felt it was important that they felt prioritised um, because I don't want new partner to overtake things from um, my children. I want them to still feel prioritised. And they say it to me all the time now. They say, we don't feel like we lost a dad because we saw so much of you. We felt that we were important, blah, 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 blah. So I think I got that right. Um, but when I said it, 
I said it to Lou a while back, about a year or so back. I went, I, I think, I think Jay is is autistic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She is. I've known that for ages. I was like, oh, could have shared funny. that one because that's what my son said when I, you know, I sat down and I was going to present this in such a way and all serious. I think you did. He goes, Mom, duh. Yeah, you really realised? You stupid. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, Lou said that. She went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've known that for ages. Yeah, I, I see so many traits, blah, blah, blah. Um, middle daughter, Alex, she, um, someone to know. She just has a nice, quiet life. She's happy. She just bumbles through life and everything's super. So let's not have that conversation. Dad, as a deep. I don't want to do that. But Lou, absolutely. She's 27 now. Um, utterly embraces her quirks, her differences. She loves it. But when she was at school, prior to her diagnosis, she had all sorts of problems. She didn't fit in. She didn't know how to do this. She didn't know how to do that. She felt like a bit of an outsider. Which, again, my little daughter with Jay, um, I don't know why I'm using these names. They're never going to hear this. They're never going to listen to this. I really don't know why I'm doing this with, with letters. Anyway, um, this list one, M, yeah. Just turned 16, had all the troubles um, since she was 12. She does exhibit some traits of ADHD and all the counsellings and all that sort of stuff. And I think when I explained to her her mum's behaviour, it helped her address herself. I think it helped her to go, all right, so mum does this and I do that, so maybe it's this. So she started to reflect. She started to look inside. She started to question herself and her own motivations and behaviours. So I think coming to terms with Jay's neurodiversity helped my little daughter, her daughter, to make sense of her own behaviour. And just quietly supporting her through all of this, through all of her trouble, um, rather than challenging her, rather than competing with her for her behaviour, saying you shouldn't behave like that, you should behave like this, you should, don't do that as bad, don't do this. just supporting, 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 and she floated her way out of it, and she's in a great place now. She's in an absolutely brilliant place now. But mum, Jay, still there, and still doesn't have the relationship with her own children because she can't do emotions, intimacy, closeness, none of that. She doesn't take her shopping. That's an anathema. Jay and take me a shopping. I do it. If we're going clothes shopping, it's oh dad, can you take me clothes shopping? Why don't you take your mum? Oh no, she just wants to run around by what she needs and go home. So it's box ticking. You said that um Jay made people her special interest. Yes. So, um, so tell me a little bit about that because we see what's happened with you and the children. How about with, with friends and her social life? Fantastic. Um has friends. I mean, the social side of things, she's either masking incredibly well, but she sees them infrequently, but intensely. They never come to the house because it's a bomb site. So she doesn't have the social awkwardness, uh, but she never speaks about her feelings because I'm quite friendly with her best mate, who she's known for longer than she's known me. And we've talked about Jay's behaviour. And it, AM sort of says to me many times, you know what you said about this the other day? Yes, I've noticed it. It's that, it's this, it's that. And the controlling behaviour that she applies to her, because she's been in her life so long and she sees a lot of her, she can't keep up the pretense, but she keeps up with all the other friends. So she moves on to one thing. 
has some friends, pours herself into it, ticks the box, moves on. So, for example, surfing. She's been surfing all her life. She's still rubbish at it. You know, she's had lessons. She's been in the water for a decade, probably, if you added it all up. Still can't do it. Currently, it's tennis. And H, my son, who plays tennis as well, same club, he's like, mum's not getting any better. I said, well, no, she won't, because that's not what it's about. It's not playing the sport to get good at it. It's playing the sports to be with people as her special interest. Because she throws herself into these things because there's no need for emotion. There's no need for understanding. There's no need for closeness. There's no need for anything. She, everything moves out the way for whoever is the current special interest person or a special interest activity. Everything else gets pushed aside. We get pushed aside, everything. The only other person, actually, funnily enough, who doesn't get pushed aside is a dad. She's ridiculously close to her. She's a daddy's girl, but he is not a daddy's girl's dad, if that makes sense. Mm. She behaves like he's God, but he doesn't behave like he's God. Does that make, does that make sense? You know, sometimes yeah. a daddy's girl loves, yes, yes, I'm daddy, I'm daddy, brings the daughter in and all that. No, he's not that at all. He's a very sound, very sensible man. But she can't do enough for him. It's. I find it so interesting because, you know, every situation is different and it's, I find it fascinating that, you know, all the relationships that she's in, the one person she can connect with is the father. And yet, from what you're saying, he's not the doting father, that typical, you know, oh, my sweetheart and that. So do you think she's just trying to win him over and get his attention? No, he's not a challenge because there's no emotion. Mm. He's never challenged her. He's never, I mean, Jay's sister's S. Um, who had the um, the pregnancy and the child trying to get into another country, uh, get a green card, which no denying it. Um, they don't talk about it. They won't admit it. But there's no denying it. He really struggles with S's behaviour because she is vicious and spiteful towards Jay's dad. Um, and Jay's like, oh, poor dad, poor dad, poor dad. And I say, yeah, you're right, but he won't challenge her. He won't challenge S on her behaviour. Now, she's extremely ND, extremely. Mm-hmm. And her main trait is that she talks all the time, even when no one's listening. Mm-hmm. And when you spend time with someone who does that, it's exhausting. And me and the kids are like, oh, is S coming around? Yes. And they're like, I'll make about half an hour, then I've got to leave the room. My battery's empty. I can't cope because she just talks. And you never talk back. She just, and you can leave the room. She's still going. So I want to get back to I want to get back to the relationship between um, Jay and her father. So does he not ask anything of her? So um, he doesn't have to. She gives bucket loads. Now her mum, dad's part, dad's wife, obviously her, her mum. Um, she passed away not that long ago of Alzheimer's, and she just could not do enough. She could not be up there enough. She could not do enough she was she went on treks to raise money and all sorts of stuff for alzheimer's and then when mum's gone bam not interested mm. so she was only doing it whilst it was relevant oh look what i've done tick a box i've raised money move on um i've supported dad with his wife dying of alzheimer's um and she was cared for at home so jay could not do enough for him and bless him he did an amazing job 
of looking after his wife to the end of her life for five years it took her to get the diagnosis and then to finally pass mm-hmm. um he, he did a fantastic job he was a saint um but he never challenges j or s no the reason i'm asking that because i think it's a it's an important point um i've come that, across it before that when well you as the husband and your children will challenge her with your needs. You need her to do this. You want her mm-hmm. to do that. You want to engage. Whereas someone like her father no, doesn't, doesn't. Cha- doesn't have any expectations. So no. it's a place where she can just feel relaxed. Because I have this experience with my husband. My husband is a mama's boy. And I, he likes to spend a lot of time with her because she never challenges him. She never, yes. you know, I'm the bad person because, you know, can you, you know, wash the car? Can you take out the trash? And all of those things raise his anxiety level. So yes. it's difficult to be because you have to be in a relationship. You have to have reciprocity in that where the relationship with the parent figure is, oh, you're just so great. And they feel safe there because they're not challenged to be the man, to be the husband, to be the father. They can, you know, almost be still the child with the parent. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And I think that's, yeah. And we, perhaps a little cruelly, uh, me and the kids, they sometimes mock her a little bit when she's a little bit over the top with it, with her with her dad and the way she is about him. Um, I could give you a myriad of examples of where we're trying to do something. And, oh, oh, oh so dad's coming down to have a tea with us and so on it's like well it's not massively inconvenient for us because we're doing x y and z already oh yes but you have to be here for him what about what we want to do oh no 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 you have to just move that stop that he's coming down i like him i respect him he's a good man um so he's had it inflicted upon him but Chris, that goes back to, and I think I might have talked about this in another podcast. Sometimes they don't understand the social hierarchy. Like you're the husband and the kids, they should come first. So you should be on the top of that hierarchy, but because they can't make those associations, you know, they think that everyone is the same or above, like the father comes before you comes before the children. So um, then it becomes difficult because you feel like you're put on the back burner and you're not as important and your feelings, your needs, your wants, your desires as a family unit go away. Yeah. It's exactly that. And as I said earlier, I think work comes first. She comes second or she comes first, work comes second because she ends up working late into the night because she's been out playing tennis all day. And then she wonders why we're not close because we never spend any time together. She never put any effort in. Um, and if you make a comment, uh, it is met with anger. And it is, it's confusing. I swear it's confusing um, when you when you say something about, you know, about what well, would you like to sit and watch a film together? Oh, why would I want, why would I want to do that? I swear it's confusing. Um, or it doesn't it doesn't sit easily. Oh, I need to work. Yeah, because you play five hours of tennis today during the working day. So of course you need to work. But we're not close, or we never spend any time together. So. It's the blindingly obvious for you and I, uh, and the just doesn't matter for her. And if I point it out to her, anger pops up. And that is the go-to emotion. It's just, I'm, I'm angry because you're asking something of me, but I'm asking something that's normal. I'm asking you to fly. I'm not asking your one-legged person to run up the stairs. 
um, just asking you for normality. And as you say, reciprocity and, and intimacy and closeness, which you only get in a proper relationship. And she says, oh, we never, we never sort of, we never plan things together. We never, what's no point? Because it's either your way or the highway. So there's no point in trying to plan something because you can't cope with a shift in what we've planned. If it goes a little bit sideways, um, then, you know, there's a, not a meltdown. She doesn't do meltdown. She just does angry. I would, I'm, I'm not sure I want to see a meltdown, to be fair, because if it's. So when you say she does angry, because I associate, well, with meltdowns, the anxiety starts to go higher and higher and higher. And then, you know, meltdowns can look different for, you know, different. It, it uh, probably is a meltdown in her version. Yes. But it goes straight to anger. There's no emotion. There's no crying. There's no sadness. There's no confusion. It's just anger. And. Anger and then ramped up anger and anger with a thousand reasons why it's anger. So you just back away. I just go. So when you say anger, anger, how does that show itself? Uh, Well, every two or three months um, for the past 15 years, um, she said to me, well, you know, I don't think we should stay together. I don't think it's working out. And then we have a conversation or she forgets and she said it and we move on how do you live with that i couldn't it it made me ill i ended up with a physical um, ailment as a result of it i think that sort of constant um uncertainty and unpleasantness because you're you're getting constantly rejected um physical i mean we're talking about physical um physicality in a relationship if i give her a hug uh, or a cuddler in bed or something like that plank of wood total plank of wood you, know, you put your arms around her, you know, the, the, the tradition sort of spooning in the morning or whatever. Not necessarily sexual, just, just cuddling up to each other. And she just sort of extricates herself, climbs out and walks off to the bathroom. Gone. Not even a backward glance. Not even, a, oh, that was nice. Nothing. Just poof, gone. But I know she's not a bad person. I know she doesn't hate me. She only hates me when I bring it up. I hold the mirror mm. up to her face and go, look, this is what you are. And this is why, and I, it's not conscious. So as you said about having one leg and running up the stairs, it's not a, a conscious process. And you can't, although my oldest daughter has learned her way through it. I mean, we've had conversations about selfishness um, with Jay. And I mean, we have electric toothbrushes and I'm forever putting the kids' electric toothbrushes on charge. She only ever puts her own on charge. Mm. She'll never change the towels. She hardly ever does the laundry. The kids haven't got a shirt uh, for school. It's like, oh, just get that one out of the laundry basket, Febreze the armpits. No, 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 that's grim. Um, So you get the picture. It's coming back to that um, understanding that this is a developmental disorder. Although sometimes it seems so cruel, the behavior seems so um, cold and so hurtful. And yet they're not doing it on purpose. It's very hard to, like you said, when if if a husband only had one leg or was blind, mm. it's it's much more tangible. So it's a reminder. But I think when it's but behavior, it's hard if to he, see. if he took if he took his leg off and started beating you over the head with it and saying, It's your fault, I can't run up the stairs. No, actually it's your fault because your leg's not there. But it's like they're beating you over the head with their problems. And you end up feeling like, well, maybe it is me. And you said it yourself. And you think, well, perhaps it is me. But then when you realize it isn't, it's a real, 
sunshine moment. You know, the sun comes up and you're like, ah, so I'm okay here. Now I need to decide what to do. Yeah, and I think that the, that's the thing is if you keep beating yourself up, want, waiting for them to change and wanting yeah. for them to change, then you're on the other side of the fence and in their business all the time. And if they don't want to change or they don't want to get counseling or um, or even watch videos or read books or whatever, you're not going to get them to do that. So if you're choosing to stay in the marriage for the children and that, then you have to find a way to make it work, to keep yourself healthy and find mm. some form of happiness. How about, do you have friends that are supportive? Not a ton. No, I'm not. I've never been a madly social person. And I think a lot of that is um, because of the way my mother raised me and my sister. Um, you know, she was all we needed, you know, the sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the dawning of realization on that is, is gone. I've got some friends. Yes, I have. But um not lots. I'm not a hugely social animal. Um, and I, I don't know whether that's a, a natural thing or a developmental thing. I know my father was the same. Um, he had acquaintances, um, but he didn't have loads and loads of mates. So for you, in your situation, doing this podcast, working on this progress and putting this awareness out there is helping you on your journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, me coming on here to talk to you Definitely, I've been looking forward to it. Listening to what you've done has been hugely helpful. So this is helping me on my journey. So I don't know what I'll do with it in the bigger picture. I may do nothing. But helping other people realize and spot this early on, and I would like to come back to that, because there are a few things that I think are massive red flags. Well, let's talk about that. So now, because okay. hindsight's twenty twenty, but and we can isn't all go right, isn't it lovely? <laughs> why didn't I see that? Oh, I should have seen no, that. It's no, right no, in front no, of my no. face. So no. tell me, tell me. Let's just go back. We can, but let's let's just go back. And um, what did you see that were the red flags in the beginning? Oh, you have a list. Reaching for my notes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, early warning signs. I've put a box ticking task driven if i think back to her flat which you would call an apartment it was devoid of life it was functional her the way she dresses very functional not very frivolous hair's always the same not great with makeup not her thing no frivolity no emotion no no love no softer side of life you know like a woman's house is normally full of bits and bobs and trinkets and memories and and photos and pictures her flat was empty it was purely functional her dress purely functional i got the odd inappropriate gift uh, not inappropriate in a bad way but it was just handed to me it wasn't wrapped well i got this for you but um what was it a present or did you find it in the corner of your living room you know that sort of thing the laser focus um, that she had upon me in the early days. And, I mean, we went to Australia. She, she wanted to go to Australia. She flew me out with her to Australia um, for three weeks. She invested. We, we bought a few, um, bought some vehicles in Australia, Holden Utes. I think you know them as a little car-based pickup trucks. What do you call them over there? Doesn't matter. Mm. We bought a few and brought them back, started to build a business around that, financed that. She paid for a lot of my legal bills in fighting to keep my kids or keep access to my kids. So 
it's that it's too much. If I think back to when I was pursuing my first wife, my second wife, you know, I was keen, I was motivated, but it wasn't quite such, you know, you're in my sights and I'm going to get you kind of thing. Yeah. It, it just pushes everything else out of the way. So that was the house, the clothes, the, um, the behavior towards me, you know, the, the laser focus, they would be the, for me, the big red flags. But Chris, is that what you liked at the beginning? The fact that she was laser focused on you? Is that what no. was attractive? What was attractive no. about her? That nothing. Want- nothing. I needed somebody to help me because my marriage felt a bit. And I adored my wife and my kids who were then little. Um, I absolutely adored them. I lived for them. And don't forget that I was generating this codependency thing with them because I hadn't dawned on that one yet. Mm-hmm. So when I lost my feed, shall we say, and the people I love most in life, she just swooped in and helped me cope. So it wasn't, uh, you know, when I met my second wife, it was you know, across a crowded room. We were both living in the Canary Islands at the time, and I just saw her, and I went, <gasps> she's lovely. And it kind of went on from there. And we flew home together, and then I flew up to Scotland, and we never left each other's side for years and years and years. But nothing uh, attracted me to her. She got me. She won me because she's so supportive and so invested in me does that make sense She's well, not so that, not that's physical. what was attractive though is that the, that she was there and and you felt like she was there to rescue you no I, I i've thought a lot about this because it is very relevant because she is not physically my type at all um and that a lot of people said to me but she's not your type Chris. she's not your type um you know, what are you doing and i was go, oh well you know I, you know I, i'm not being superficial, blah blah blah. I'm just, you know, I want someone who's, you know, a better person. Should we say? None of them. Were, nothing was wrong with any of them. But I kind of justified it to myself in being swept up by this person. I could not resist the onslaught. Nobody could have resisted the onslaught of "I want you, and I'm going to do everything I can to get you." Why would you turn your back on that in a moment of need? I didn't. I didn't turn my back on it, and I was the special interest. That's there was no attraction. Hmm. That's a weird thing to say, um, but there wasn't. But you chose to stay because you've been in the relationship now for over twenty years. So what yeah. kept you there? Kids. The kids. I've already had remote parenting. I've already been uh, a remote father, which I didn't like. I hated it. I've lost one family, um, partly through carelessness, perhaps I don't know, partly through circumstance. Um, I didn't want to go there again. So you keep hoping for something and you work and work and work and work and work. And then eventually, as I said, my health collapsed. Yeah, it was to kids, which is a callous thing to say. Um, but no, I wouldn't say that because a lot of us stay. I mean, I stayed for my son and I know a lot of women stayed for the children because they really feel that there needs to be one parent that is there to sounds, sounds a mean work. thing to say though doesn't it Margo? I mean I said one of the things I wrote here was um are we at risk of sounding like a bunch of whingers like a bunch of what whinging whingers whinging people you know oh oh my marriage isn't very good oh it must be this or it must be that I'm great Do you know, I, I just think mm-hmm. when I first dawned on this it, it being Asperger's and it being neurodiverse um I thought god is have I found an excuse to blame her for everything 
It's not that. It isn't that. I, I know it now. I thought it at the time. Perhaps I'm just using this to justify the mess we're in. But I've ended up knowing it, believing it, and happy to talk to you about it because it's a fact. And there's too many facts. Forget opinion. Take opinion out of the equation. Take feelings out of the equation, mine and yours. There's things that happen that are factual um, when they don't read the room. But there are factual things like the blindness. Um, I, I wrote a little piece here, which was quite interesting. Was Sometimes she'll sit and have a conversation with Mia and she'll say something again and again and again. And Mia will say, no, no, I get it. All right, drop it now, leave it. And then she'll get again and again and again. And she has this cold, blank face. And she won't stop talking about something until Mia's in tears and gone upstairs to her room. Mm. And I said to her, you know, why did you not stop? What stop what? What do you mean? That's not my feelings. That's not an opinion. It's a fact. She does it a lot. She'll go on and on and on. She'll get fixated about something. And even if you agree with her, she'll go, oh, you're just saying that. Shut me up. So take emotions out of this. Take feelings out of this and just look at the facts. She misses the point. She doesn't read the room. We're all sitting there engrossed in a film. She comes into the living room from somewhere else and starts talking. And we're all like, we're watching the film. We're at a good bit. Oh, yeah, but I want to talk to you. Whoa. We don't want to hear it. Shut up. We're watching a film. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing because I can totally relate to you get that. It? Yeah, okay. But it's it's that they sort can't of read the room that people are busy know. doing something or engaged in something and yes. in they mark. And they just blah 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 blah. They're like, shut up. And it's like, oh, you're being rude. No, you're being rude. You're being phenomenally rude. Shut up. We're trying to do something here. Or you're playing music. That's another one which I don't get. We're sitting at the table. One of us has got our phone out. We're having a meal. And one of us puts a bit of me, oh, I heard this today. Play it, blah, blah, blah. And she, out comes her phone. Bam, she starts playing stuff. I want to play stuff. Um, but we were playing stuff. And now you've hijacked the moment. And then we all leave. And she sits there on her own playing music. That's not a fact. Uh, sorry, that's not a feeling. That's not an emotion. It's a fact. Um, me and H often will say things to each other. And she takes it literally. You're going to do what? No, no, it was a joke. Oh, uh, was it? Didn't sound like it. Yeah, it was a joke. She takes things literally. So one of the things I put down here, <laughs> Jay lives her life. We just happen to be in it too. It, it, it's it just about sums it up. But she's not a selfish person towards others. And often she'll do amazing things for us, but only when it suits her agenda, only when it's her idea, only when it's her motivation. Um, what motivates that? I have no idea. So um, let's bring this back around to you. So you've decided to stay in this relationship. So what are some of the things that you've put in place so that you can um, deal with the day-to-day and uh, keep your health and well-being intact? Well, I've got to say, I don't think I need anything now because I did badly need things and I didn't know why or what was wrong. But since I've dealt with my mother, uh, which has a lot to do with it, I know it has, can't say it hasn't, dealt with her behaviour and her uh, treatment of my sister and I. My sister hasn't dealt with it, that's for sure. But I have, I come to terms with it. So I feel like I've made such progress anyway over the past five years. Part of that is coming to terms with Jay's neurodiversity and her behaviour and supporting the kids. So 
I don't I don't have any strategies. I read about this. I listen to podcasts. So I found you. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Hutton, stuff that he talks about, and you go, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's obvious. Why didn't I spot that 10 years ago? Um, and stuff like that. I don't know how to answer that one. Do I actually do anything? No. Do I have a strategy? No. Um, I'm at such a I'm on the top of the wave at the moment because I've found my way through this mess. I, I don't need to be doing that just yet. I'd love to have a special somebody in my life. I really would, but I don't think I need it. I think I'm much more self-sufficient and much more self-reliant. I'm much more able to step back and peace, calmness, self-respect, a bit of self-love. I don't understand what that means, but you know, I stand out the back of the house, I look up at the sky and the sun's shining, and I just smile. I smile on the inside and I smile on the outside. And she sees me doing it and she goes, what are you thinking of? Nothing. I'm just happy. And that's how I cope because I, I understand and I keep learning and I keep understanding about the kids, about how they've gone through this, what happened to my previous marriage, um, her behaviour. Um, so maybe that's my comfort blanket is learning and understanding. Maybe that's my strategy. I don't know. I can't put a number on it. Well, that's great. And you don't have to know right now. You're just going to take it one step at a time. And uh, one, as they say, one day at a time. But boy, once you figure out, oh, this is it, and the puzzle pieces start to come together, and then you reach out and you find validation in other people yeah. that are experiencing the same thing, it's, it's a relief, isn't it? Yeah, it's colossal. I mean, coming across your stuff and when you said about doing this, I, initially I was like, what have I got to say? And I thought, actually, no, I would love somebody to have said this to me a long time ago and helped me to arrive at the point I'm at now. Well, this has been a great hour, Chris. Thank you for... I hope so. Yeah, I think it'll help a lot of people out there. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. And uh, I appreciate you, your honesty and how vulnerable you are and uh, keep staying on the path you're on. Well, yeah, thank you very much for doing what you do and inviting me on. That wraps up another episode of the Healing Cassandra podcast. If you would like more information, head on over to our website at healingcassandra.com. And if you are interested in ongoing support, Please join our membership community and be part of a thriving group of women who are on their journey to recover from Cassandra Syndrome. Until next time.